as Emma said, I've just come back from holiday and uh, I had a week with some friends in Northumbria, which is right up um, by uh, the borders of Scotland and England. And uh, we were staying at a place uh, opposite an island called Lindisfarne. And there are a number of islands called the Farn Islands. And uh, I go with some friends and one friend in particular is very keen on nature and she's a keen ornithologist you know she loves watching birds and she knows loads about birds and one of the things that uh, she wanted to do wanted us to do was to take a boat trip out to the Farn Islands because on the Farn Islands there are all these seabirds and uh, it's a good time of the year to go because they're all having their chicks and so this day comes and we're going to go out to the Farn Islands and and me and boats don't really get on that well um, however, you know, I thought I'm gonna, gonna, you know, I'm gonna try and do my best and be a man. And uh, and it was a bit blowy and and it was raining. And uh, we stood on the quay and I thought any minute now someone's gonna turn up and say, "Sorry, we've had to call it off. Weather's a bit rough today. You're not gonna go out." But nobody did turn up like that. The boat came round and it was it was quite a small boat. And then I counted the people that were queuing up to go on this boat. There were 60 people. I thought, there's no way we're all going to get on this boat. But down the gangplank, they all went, and we all got on. And, and then I thought, well, where are, the, where are the life jackets? You know, you're just a little boat like this. You should be wearing life jackets, surely. But they start off, and there's no life jackets. And this old sea captain at the front, he says, um, just a safety notice for you. We've, we've got enough life jackets for you all, so, so don't worry. We'll be fine if we have an accident, and the crew will help you with your life jackets. And I look around, and the crew consists of him and one other guy. And I think, well, well sorry, how are you going to get 60 life jackets around the rest, you know, all of us, if this boat is capsizing? I want you to stay at the wheel, which only leaves one crew to get these 60 life jackets around. And we get out of the harbour, and I tell you what, that boat is going up and down like nobody's business. And there's clearly these keen ornithologists, and they're all really... They're all really looking forward to, to seeing the seabirds on the Farn Islands. And what I'm doing is I'm looking around the boat to see well, where are the life jackets because they're not under the seats. And there's this bit in the middle where I'm sitting, but underneath there, I can, all I can hear is the engine. So I'm thinking, well, there's no space for 60 life jackets under there. And there, all the waves are going, and all these people who are really keen to get to the Farn Islands, they're all going, wee, wee. And I'm thinking... You're mad. You're totally nuts. We're all going to die. We're not at Chessington World of Adventure. We're in the North Sea. And there are no life jackets. And uh, anyway, we, we got there. And I was a bit, I was a bit um, confused because I was sitting opposite this couple who had um, cycling helmets. I was thinking, this is a bit odd got cycling helmets. Are you supposed to wear cycling helmets on boats? I mean, I don't know. And we get to this island, and this very chirpy National Trust young man, he runs down the steps, and he says, oh, you've come at a great time. The Arctic terns are breeding. I think, oh, that's good. Yeah, great. Uh, but the only problem is that they're all breeding near the path, and they're, and they're a little bit defensive. And then I see that there's not only this couple who have got uh, cycling helmets, there's this other couple, you know, with big binoculars around their necks and all this sort of thing, who've clearly come pre prepared. They've got builders' hard hats. And they put on their builders' hard hats. I think, what is going on here? 
I tell you what, you walk up the path and these Arctic terns, they are mad. They are vicious. Now, all I've got is a thin waterproof coat with a hood. And I put this on. I tell you, these things, they were bombing, bombing me. They had really sharp beaks as well. And, um, and, and obviously, they sensed my aggression because they seemed to bomb me more than anybody else. And this couple walked past me. They said, oh, they don't like you, do they? And I said, no. No, I don't like them much either. And I tell you what, I mean, if it wasn't that we had been surrounded by very keen bird watchers, I wanted to give these birds a slap. I really did. But, you know, I, I, had, to, I had to restrain myself. And, and at one point, the, the, the guy on the boat says, now, did you sign up for the, for the long trip or the short trip? And my friend says, oh, I think we bought tickets for the long trip. And I'm thinking, please, God, let it not be the long trip. Let it be the short trip. And I get the ticket out. And he says, oh, no, that's the short trip. And my friend goes, oh. And I said, oh, oh it's a short trip. Thank you, God, it's the short trip. Um, I tell you, I was never so glad to get my, my feet back on dry land. It was interesting. We were, Tim and I were just talking. And he, he said, oh, you know, he's a country boy and likes... <laughs> Likes, likes the country, and it was nice to get out into a park on Friday and lost yesterday and into the green space. And I just realized when I was away, I'm such a Londoner. I'm such a Londoner. I tell you, the nearest I want to get to the water in the future is the Woolwich Ferry. And I'll be happy with that. Anyhow, we are going to uh, look at uh, Colossians chapter 4. We're nearly at the end of our series. We've got one more uh, preach on it next week, I think, and then that's that's it, we've, we've finished this series. And we're just going to look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through to 6. Before we do that, let me just do a plug for a book. Um, it is one of the best books I have ever read in my life. Um, it's by R.T. Kendall, who used to be the pastor of Westminster Chapel. He was pastor for 25 years there, uh, now back in the States in his mid-70s. It's called The Power of Humility. Uh, it is a fantastic book, a highly challenging book. Um, it's probably showed me more than ever before that probably what's beneath most of my sin when I sin is pride. Um, but he's a guy who's very good at just understanding human nature. And he addresses this problem and this issue of pride with such grace, uh, but so, so helpful. So one of the best books I've ever read, I think, I lent it to Dan and I got a text from Dan while I was away just saying, brilliant book, going to read it again. And that's that's how I feel about it too. So uh, if there's a book that I can, would want to recommend you to read, it is this one, The Power of Humility by R.T. Kendall. Nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I thought I'd get him plug in as I've got shares in his company. Okay, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through to verse 6. And the word should come up for you on the screen there. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. This is Paul writing. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you might open it up to us, 
We do thank you so much that you've reminded us this morning that your gospel is a gospel of grace. And uh, I pray, Father, that as we open this up, we look at this subject of prayer, we touch on it, that actually your grace might be ministered to us as we hear your word and that you'd stir us, provoke us, but it would all be within the bounds of your wonderful, all-encompassing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I um, every now and then meet with, with a, a guy who's in his mid-twenties. He doesn't come here. And I uh, met with him about, I guess, about five weeks ago now. And uh, we chatted through, we always chat through a number of things around his life. So he talks about his life and what's going on. And we have chats about that. And, and uh, one of the things we talked about was his devotional time. And I had an email from him just before I went away, uh, just giving me an update. He said, oh, Phil, I thought I'd email you an update on some of the things we talked about. And uh, one of the points uh, that he emailed, he said, um, he said, some of the stuff that you said about, you know, devotional time, that sort of thing. He said, some of the stuff you said about that has just been still going around in my head, but more as a condemnation than anything else. I thought, oh, no. Oh, boy. I need to learn some stuff about this discipleship thing because I, clearly I've not communicated that very well. This guy feels condemned. I mean, I don't think actually he, he felt thoroughly condemned just by what I'd said, but... Clearly, that was the feeling he had around prayer and his devotional time. And uh, so, as you might imagine, I, I whisked another email off to him very quickly, which was full of grace. Uh, because condemnation is, is such a negative uh, emotion to feel. It's not what God wants for us or intends for us. And, uh, and yet it is one which we can so easily feel when we come to the subject of prayer. When you hear that phrase that Paul uses, devote yourselves to prayer, I wonder how you feel. It becomes a loaded subject. How devoted are we to prayer? And there aren't probably many of us who would say, well, I'm there with it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all there. I'm devoted wholeheartedly. In fact, lots of us would, would hear that phrase in the Bible, devote yourselves to prayer, and immediately there would be feelings of guilt or condemnation you all before the message even starts you feel like you've got this weight pressing down on you about what you don't do and, and how you're not living up to what you should in terms of prayer but what we tend to do in church or well, this is what I've done in the past is when that sort of sermon has begun I've made sure that I've sat up really straight so that I don't look like I'm weighed down with guilt about the fact that I don't pray very much and I make sure I engage with the preacher and I laugh at all his jokes because yes I'm there but really half the time when I've uh, heard sermons on devotional stuff, I've not felt that way. I've actually felt like I'm coming with a deficit model, like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living up to the standard. Devote myself to prayer. Am I devoted to prayer? It's a loaded subject. It was obviously a loaded subject for this guy that I was talking to, clearly, and I think it can be a loaded subject for us. And... Quite often what comes with that is a sense of disappointment and a sense that of helplessness, really. You know, I've heard these words about prayer before and being devoted to prayer, and I've tried, and, and I just never seem to get there. And oh, just, that's, that's going to be me. That characterizes me. I'm never going to get there with prayer. This is going to be me the rest of my life. 
You know, I'll, I'll get little moments of inspiration, but actually probably devote myself to prayer. Don't think I'm ever going to get there. That's what it can feel like. So before we look at being devoted to prayer, let's just perhaps apply the gospel of grace before we start looking at prayer and being devoted to prayer. You see, at Jesus's, I guess what you could describe as his, his moment of greatest need of his friends, they let him down when it came to prayer. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he said to them just before he goes into the garden, you know, that, that his heart is torn within him. And he says, let's pray. And they fall asleep. And that's probably that you think to yourself, this is the one moment when Jesus could really lay it on thick to the disciples. And he would be absolutely justified to do so. With what he is about to go through. And they can't even pray with him. They fall asleep. He's told them in no uncertain terms of the anguish that he is going through. If these were really good friends of his, would they not see what this man, this God man is going through? Would they not, would they not want to be with him and next to him? They let him down in a way probably that they'd never let him down before. And what is his response to that? Well, his response is this. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what he says to them. He acknowledges that they've got willing spirits. Do you know I wouldn't do that? If you let me down like that, if I was really going to up against it and, and I said, oh, I just need someone with me and you fell asleep, oh, I wouldn't be full of grace with you like that, I don't think. And yet the Lord Jesus is so full of grace with the disciples. When they let him down in that area of prayer, he says, Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He speaks grace to them. Do you not think that if you are sitting here thinking, boy, have I, do I let him down in this area of prayer? How condemned am I? Do you not think that he says to you, Spirit's willing, flesh is weak. If he didn't condemn his disciples about their prayer life, neither does he condemn us. Neither does he condemn you. That means that every time we come to this subject of prayer, however we might be feeling about how we're doing, we are not walking under the gaze of an angry and peeved God. We are under grace. Grace that says, I know how they're formed. I remember that they're dust. Grace that says, we don't have a high priest who is unsympathetic, but who sympathizes with our weaknesses and yet was without sin. Tempted at all points, just as we are. Yeah, he was without sin and he sympathizes. And we have a high priest who's interceding for us with the Father. So before we even look at prayer, Let's just minister some grace because that's what he does to us. If he did not condemn the disciples at that moment when they let him down more than they probably had up to that moment, neither does he condemn us. He acknowledges that 
our spirits are willing. If you're a Christian here today, then he knows that you have a willing spirit. And he says, the flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. And he knows it and he acknowledges it. He sympathizes with our weakness. There's a great quote from uh, Jerry Bridges that I've used before. I don't think you can ever wear this quote out. It says, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Actually, whether we've risen early in the morning and had a devotional time with him that's been off the planet, or whether we've woken five minutes before we needed to get in the shower and we've rushed out the door, barely acknowledging his name, there is never a day that goes by when we are either out of the reach of his grace or without the need of his grace. That's the reality. It's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with him. And so when we come to this subject of prayer, we start off not with a deficit model, but we start off knowing that we are bathed in grace. So now we can look at prayer. Hopefully now you're not feeling condemned. Hopefully now you know that he says, I know the Spirit's willing, even though the flesh is weak. And actually, do you know what? Paul, he encapsulated this struggle really well in the book of Romans. So in Romans 7, he says this. He's talking here about Christians. And he's paraphrasing what it feels like sometimes to be a Christian. When he says this, I think I relate to this. So he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate to do, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the very next verse is the one that we all love. Therefore, there is no condemnation. You will always struggle with the flesh. You will always struggle with sin. There is no sinless perfection until we get to heaven. It will always be a struggle. It will always be a battle. You will always have to fight with disappointment over it. You will always have to fight with not allowing condemnation to pull you down over it because you'll still do it. It will still happen. You will still wrestle. And there will still be times when you say, what a wretched person I am. Who is going to rescue me from this body of death and sin? And the answer is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's who rescues you. And the result of that is, therefore, there is no condemnation. 
Now, one of the things that R.T. Kendall says is a mark of growing spiritual maturity is how quickly we settle our accounts with God. How quickly we say, God, sorry, I'm back. It's a mark of spiritual maturity how quickly we do that. Sometimes we allow ourselves to feel that it's more noble to hold ourselves to account about our sin for a really long time. No, I can't come back. No, there's no way I can approach him. Not after this. I've done it again. And we sort of hold ourselves to account over it much longer than he does. Because actually he intends us to have very short accounts over our sin. It's been dealt with at the cross. Jesus said to uh, Peter when he said, oh, you know, when he was washing the disciples' feet and Peter said, oh, give me a bath. You know, in that case, give me a, you know, wash me all over, Lord. If I don't have any part of you, if I'm not, have my feet washed, wash me all over. And he's, Jesus says, look, I'm a, a, a person who's had a bath doesn't need to be washed. They only need their feet cleaned. Now, what I'm not doing here is I'm not, I'm not downplaying sin. But actually for the Christians, sometimes we are guilty of the opposite. We make too much of sin when it's been dealt with. And what he says is, come and have your feet cleaned. It's a daily exercise. You're going to get mucky. You're going to get mucky feet, but you're clean. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. So he said to Peter, you're clean. It's just your feet that need washing. Get into the habit of keeping really short accounts with God. It won't affect in any way your standing before him, but it will affect your maturity and it will affect how useful you are to him. Because if you allow condemnation to pull you down, then you will be no less under his grace, but you will be less effective. You will be not in a position where he can use you as much as when you keep short accounts with him and you come back quick. Let's come back quick when we fail. Jesus said to his disciples when they failed him at prayer, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What about when our spirits don't even feel willing? There are times when probably we all feel a bit like that. And there are maybe seasons of life that you go through when actually you think, do you know what? My flesh is weak, but do you know what? I don't even think my spirit is willing. If I'm really honest, I'm, I'm just the place I'm at at the moment. I'm not sure I'm even in a place where I'm willing to pray. To, to spend time with him. I don't even feel really, if I'm really honest, I don't feel willing to do it. Well, there's provision for that too. In the Psalms, in Psalm 51, David prays, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And in one of the other Psalms, the psalmist writes, give me an undivided heart. Sometimes that's all we can muster. Sometimes you don't even feel willing and all you can ask is, Lord, make me willing. We used to sing a song some years ago um, and it had the line in it, help me to be willing to let you have your way. Sometimes that's as far as you can get. Lord, I don't even feel willing. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. So there's provision in his grace even when you don't feel willing. You can ask for that. But there's more than that too. This is what it says in Galatians. 
God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba Father. If you're a Christian here today, then you already have his Holy Spirit within you that cries out, Abba Father. And sometimes when we don't feel willing, actually all we need to do is shut up for a moment and give the Holy Spirit who is in you some space to cry, Abba Father. And then you just get in on the slipstream of that. Sometimes we are so quick to try and pray lots and lots of words when we feel like we've not been with God for a while and our devotion to him is lacking and we don't even feel that we're willing and we think, well, I better do the duty. So I'll come and I'll bring lots of words and I'll say lots of stuff and that perhaps that will just work my way back into his presence. And actually... If you're a Christian here today, you have his Holy Spirit in you. And that spirit of God within you cries, Abba, Father, whether you want it to or not. And sometimes all you need to do is shut up and let him do it. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes rather than feeling when you're not willing or when you've been away from him for a while, rather than feeling you need to bring lots and lots of words, sometimes the only word you need to do to use is Father. We've heard that this morning lots. Sometimes the only word you need to use is Father. Who is it who's saying that in you? You've been away from him for a long time. You feel cold towards him. You've let him down. You don't even feel willing to really be with him, if you're honest. And yet, there's one word that you manage to say quite easily. Father. That's because he's saying it. That's because the Holy Spirit within you is crying, Abba, Father. My advice to you, on those days when you feel like you're far from him and you're not even willing, is don't come with lots of words, just come with one, Father. And let his spirit that's in you cry, Abba, Father, and then you get on the slipstream of that. Jesus actually told his disciples not to use lots of words. Um, he says to them, you know, don't be like the pagans who think that God will hear them because of all the words they use. Sometimes we use too many words when we pray. Jesus said, the Father knows what you want before you ask for it. So don't come with lots of words. Sometimes the only word you need to come with is Father. So let's look at the word devote yourselves. Devote yourselves to prayer. It comes from a Greek word. It's only used once in the Bible and it's here. I'll try and pronounce it for you. Proskateriet. Proskateriet. And that word has a number of different meanings attached to it. And so here are some of them. To adhere to. To be devoted or constant to be steadfastly attentive, to give unremitting care to a thing, to persevere and not to faint, to show oneself courageous for something. One of the commentators describes this word and says that it suggests a gritty determination not to give up, 
a gritty determination not to give up. What it's really saying, I think, is, Lord, it's me, I'm back when it comes to prayer. Devotion means steadfastly determining that whether you did it yesterday or you didn't, and whatever your emotions might be telling you about how you should feel about that, you have a gritty determination to come back. Lord, I'm back. And in fact, that's what God loves. What we tend to think is that we can't do that. We can't come and say, Lord, I'm back, because surely we have to work our way back. When we've not prayed for a while, we've got to work our way back. But no, we don't have to work our way back. Instead, we just come and say, Lord, I'm back. Is that presumptuous to do that? Well, you know, I don't think it is. Everything that we read in the Gospels tells us that it isn't. The very story about uh, the son who had so sinned against his father is the one of the prodigal son where he gets back to the father and the father lifts him straight up onto his feet as a son. Won't have him back as a servant. We come back as a servant too often. Do you know that? When we've been away from God or we've been distant from him and we feel we can't come back, we come back as a servant too often. And he won't allow it. He wants us to come back as daughters and sons. This word, devote yourself, it means gritty determination that I'm going to come back. Lord, I'm back. I'm not going to work my way back because I don't need to because you've done what's necessary. All I need to do is to come and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been away. I'm back. A gritty determination is what should characterize us when it comes to prayer. Jesus tells a story. It's a parable that's probably one of the least known, I would guess. But it's a story about a woman, a widow, and she goes to an unjust judge to plead her case. And it's Jesus said that this judge uh, didn't fear God or men. He was, just, he was an unjust judge. And yet this widow came back again and again and again to plead her case until in the end, this judge says, well, look, to just get her off my back, I will give her what she wants. And Jesus says, how much more does the father give us justice or whatever else we ask for when we come to him? And in Matthew's gospel, before that parable, Matthew writes this. Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We need to have a gritty determination when it comes to prayer. Do you know that? We have to not give up. And we have to not give in to the, but I haven't done it for two days. How can I come back? No, we have a gritty determination to come back. God, I'm back. And what does he do? He says, well done. Come on then, stand up. Don't stay down there. Stand up. A gritty determination to come back. You know, I think back on my life and the number of times when the flesh has been weak and I've not prayed for a few days. And, and then it goes on even longer because I think, well, I can't come back. Or I'll need at least two hours to work my way back. And it's an enemy lie that I've listened to so often. Don't you listen to it. Gritty determination is what's needed in terms of prayer. And Jesus says, always pray and don't give up. That's what you need to do. Because do you know what? Sometimes you're going to fail. 
your flesh is weak. But he knows your spirit is willing. And he says, don't give up. So don't. If you've been away from God for a while, if prayer's been difficult for you, don't give up. And don't feel condemned because that's not from him. That's the flesh. And what does Paul say about the flesh? Well, Paul says he, he beats it into submission, which Paul would say that sort of thing, wouldn't he? I'm just trying to find the... the okay, because there's a, a new version of the, new, of the NIV. I like the, I like the phrase he says here. He says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. It's just, you could just hear Paul saying that, can't you? I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So don't hear what I'm not saying, because what I'm not saying is anything goes. It's all right if you sin, if you, if you haven't read your Bible or prayed for a while, it's okay, it's grace. Then you can hear Paul's other words resounding in your ears, can't you? By no means. No, there is grace. There is mercy. But there is an extent where I have to make my body my slave. And so I have to have a grim determination that I'm going to come back. Have a grim determination to pray. Devote yourself. Lord, I'm back. But he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You see, our success or otherwise in getting up to pray in the morning or whenever you pray doesn't affect God's grace for you one jot. But it does impact how we're going to experience life and how ready we're likely to be to be about our Father's business. If you don't pray, it won't affect how he feels about you one jot. And it won't affect his grace for you one jot. But it will affect how you experience life and it will affect how useful you will be for him and whether you can truly be about your father's business. It's interesting that Jesus also uses that word watch. He uses it at the same time as when he says the spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. He says watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Praying is really important because it helps us to be watchful and to live lives that are productive. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about prayer in the morning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a German theologian who was martyred during the, uh, by the Nazis during the Second World War, and uh, he says this, prayer offered in early morning is decisive for the day. The wasted time that we are ashamed of, the temptations we succumb to, the weakness and discouragement in our work, the disorder and lack of discipline in our thinking and in our dealings with other people, all these very frequently have their cause in our neglect of morning prayer. The ordering and scheduling of our time will become more secure when it comes from prayer. See, prayer is not about you winning favor with God, but prayer is about how effective you can and will be for him. Um, I was talking to a friend yesterday, and he was just asking, oh, what are you looking at tomorrow? And so I said, oh, we're in Colossians 4, chapter, uh, verse, verse uh, 2 to 6. 
he's infuriating this friend of mine because he said straight away, oh, right, okay, so that's the one about being devoted to prayer, isn't it? And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and it's the one about your conversation always being full of grace and seasoned with salt. And I thought, how did you know that? How do you know that? So he's, he really, uh, he knows his Bible well. Uh, he, but one of the things that he said was that he remembered, uh, he, now, he now works in the Christian sphere, but uh, when he was working in a, in a secular uh, place of work, he said he remembered one day that was his reading in the morning, and he prayed through it, and uh, he prayed that prayer, you know, Lord, help me today just to have some, co- to take, make the most of the op- of opportunities that come, and for me to have some conversations today that are, see- you know, that are gr- full of grace but seasoned with salt. And he said he, w- he went into work, and he said a woman came up to him in the corridor, completely out of the blue, and said, so tell me about Christianity then. Gosh. Prayer is nothing to do with his grace and acceptance of you. But it's all to do with how effective you can be for him and whether you're in the right place to be used at the right time. The last thing in that little sentence that starts off that passage is being thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. I found this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer really helpful about being thankful. He says this. See it, this last quote from him. Only those who give thanks for the little things receive the great things as well. We prevent God from giving us the great spiritual gifts prepared for us because we do not give thanks for daily gifts. We think that we should not be satisfied with the small measure of spiritual knowledge, experience and love that has been given to us and that we must be constantly seeking the great gifts. Then we complain that we lack the deep certainty, the strong faith and the rich experiences that God has given to other Christians. And we think that these complaints are pious. We pray for the big things and we forget to give thanks for the small and yet really not so small gifts that we receive daily. How can God entrust great things to those who will not gratefully receive the little things from God's hand? It is really important to be thankful when we pray. For one thing, it just puts into perspective my shopping list that I have in my head that I want to bring him this morning. Because actually when I begin to thank him for what he's already given me, a whole heap of that stuff pales into insignificance. It's really helpful just to level my prayers and to make sure that I'm praying for the right things. But also, God loves gratitude. You notice that Jesus, when the lepers were healed, he noticed that only one came back. He said, where are the other nine? God loves it when we are grateful. He blesses gratitude. So let's be thankful in our prayers too. A couple of practical things then. When I emailed back my friend about his devotional time and feeling condemned, I said to him, right, why don't you start with a couple of achievable goals? Two half-hour slots a week. Could you manage that? Experience some success in it. 
do that first. And that's quite often a helpful thing to do, is if prayer is a struggle for you, and it's a struggle for most of us, and the thought of getting up at half past five every morning from tomorrow is what's currently going through your head, well, then I would abandon that if I were you, for the moment at least. I would set for myself something that I know I can do. But don't settle for mediocrity with it. You're likely to do that, and then what you should do is then be thinking, what's my next step after this? What's my goal? My goal is time with him every day. But I'm going to start with twice a week, half an hour, completely devoted, uninterrupted. I can do that. I'm going to do that. Of course, what that does for you as well is it gives you the taste for it that you then find you love and you want it more. But don't set yourself unrealistic goals to start with. I think so many people crash and burn with prayer because they do that. Set yourself some achievable goals first, but don't settle for mediocrity and don't settle that it's going to be it's going to be two half-hour slots for the next six months. Now, actually, in your head, think, well, I'm going to start with that. Let's see where we go for a couple of weeks. Can I up the ante after a couple of weeks? You'll probably find that you'll be able to. One of the things that we're going to try and do to help uh, with prayer is over the next few weeks, we're going to look at whether we can put together, or we, whether we can help each other with prayer groups, having some smaller groups when we meet together to pray I don't know, once a month or whatever. And we're just going to start setting some of those up. We're not quite sure how we're going to do it yet. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But we're really keen to do that so that we can support one another in prayer. You know, I think it becomes such a loaded issue, prayer, that sometimes we're embarrassed to even mention that we're struggling with it. I would love it to be that you can say to me and I can say to you at any time, how are you doing with your prayer life? What's your devotional life like? And you're able to say to me, oh, it's a real struggle at the moment. Or I'm able to say to you, it's a real struggle at the moment. And you're able to say to me, okay, let's talk about it. Has anything changed? Let's look at it. Okay, what can we do? Okay, why don't you come pray with me? Let's just do it together for a couple of sessions, get you back into it. Because actually, do you know what? If Jesus doesn't judge you about your prayer life, I certainly don't have the right to. And you don't have the right to judge me on mine either. So I would love us to be a church that holds no judgment on our prayer lives because Jesus doesn't judge it. But instead, we will support one another. Paul says, spur one another on. That's what this is about. If somebody asks you how your prayer life's going, be honest because probably what's behind that is they want to spur you on towards love and good deeds. And I need you to spur me on to it as well. Let's be really open with each other about prayer and we'll get better at it if we're open about it. If we stop pretending and we're open about it, we're more likely to get so much better at it. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Do you know, there's one thing I just want to finish with, or two quick things. I was reading that section in the Bible where Jesus talks to the disciples after they've let him down. And he's been so full of grace to them. And he said that he knows their spirits are willing and their flesh is weak. But do you know what he also says? He says to Peter, could you not watch with me one brief hour? 
Now, in his next breath, he says, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. In his next breath, he's saying, he's, he's caring for Peter. That phrase, could you not watch with me one brief hour, holds no sense of condemnation in it because in his next breath, he's saying, but, but make sure you pray so you're not tempted. And I know the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. But do you know, when Peter dictated that line to Mark, who then wrote that gospel, and he remembered that, I wonder, I guess his heart was torn in two. And Jesus said to him, could you not watch with me one brief hour? Do you know, I think he says that to us. Out of your 24, that you fill with so much stuff, can you not watch with me one brief hour? Does he say it in a condemning way? No, he doesn't. He says it full of grace and mercy. He says it because he knows it's best for us. Could you not watch with me one brief hour? Here's a great poem from Martin Luther, the theologian, the German theologian. It's quite old language, but concentrate. When you're feeling condemned, this is a good one. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, nor else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned, for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart, whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever, for though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Don't you ever feel condemned if you don't pray. But have a gritty determination and say, Lord, I'm back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that everything that we find in your word is good for us. And so often, oh God, we can misinterpret it as law and duty, as hardship and burden. And yet everything in your word is good for us. I pray you'd convince our hearts of that. I pray that you'd give us a robustness when it comes to prayer. That when the flesh is weak and we've failed, we will still be quick to come back. I pray for a robustness in this church for prayer. That you'd do something in our hearts. That we wouldn't get to the age of 60 or 70 and still be thinking, I wish I could crack prayer. I wish I could crack daily prayer. I pray you do something in us that makes it habitual and brings robustness to it and effectiveness. And that from seeing you answer our prayers, there would be great delight and joy as we share in the adventure of the gospel of grace. We ask it in and through the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.